Hello and welcome to Not Couple Goals, the podcast where we talk about the best and let's face it worst in romantic thriller cinema. I'm your co-host Tyler McCarthy here with my other co-host Allie Nelson and for this episode we watched the 2021 sexy romantic thriller Deadly Illusions. It stars Kristen Davis of Sex and the City fame and uh, Dermot Mulroney, Greer Grammer and Shanola Hampton. It was written and directed by Anna Elizabeth James. Is it Mulroney or Mulrooney? Mulroney. I always said Mulrooney. Well, you always said it wrong then. Oh, well, sorry, Dermot. Uh, anyway, look, uh, consider this your spoiler alert for Deadly Illusions. It's available on Netflix, and we highly recommend you le- pause this podcast, go watch it, and then rejoin us because we're going to get into it. Well, he may have jumped the gun by saying highly recommend, just if you don't want it to be spoiled. We highly recommend you watch the movies we talk about. I didn't watch this for my health, and if you're a fan, you should watch it too. That's right. All right, welcome back to the show, loyal listeners and newcomers alike. I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, exclude people. Yeah, I guess not. Um, Yeah, this was quite the movie. Uh, This is a rare one because I obviously didn't care for this movie. But then, in doing the uh, research for the trivia section of the podcast, we'll get into later. You really didn't care for this movie. No, I kind of like it's. I'm, I'm looking at it through a new lens, I guess, uh, and we'll get into all that. But for now, mm. let's just talk about your initial thoughts. Like, what do you, what was your... So uh, I was pretty excited when this movie came out because it's, it's like a Lifetime movie, but on Netflix. So it's like not an actual Lifetime movie, but like real hardcore Lifetime movie vibes and like description. Like hardcore and, Lifetime movie vibes. Yeah, like very Lifetime-y. And uh, so I remember like counting down when it was coming out because I was like, oh, my God, Kristen Davis, who I've loved from Sex of the City, is going to be in uh, like lesbian undertoned <laughs> Lifetime esque movie that's coming to Netflix. Like, count me in. And I like was but Ali, yeah. you're a Miranda. <laughs> I am a Miranda, but I, you know, I have love for all of them. But uh, I was texting like you know my my girls and one of them you know uh, i won't mention who but actually worked on it it turned out as i was texting uh and i was like oh my god i'm watching this movie like i was really excited for uh for the whole thing did it live up to the hype that i had built up uh we shall see we shall see yeah it's um you know, it's it's one of those movies, it's like a taut, sexy thriller. It's the it's right in the not couple goals wheelhouse. It is exactly what we want. But um it and it, it ends up becoming like a different kind of movie in the third act. Like out of nowhere, it stops being this like softcore porno and becomes this like weird commentary Bonkers. on mental health. Like, yeah, it's it it takes this turn that isn't really earned. But it's kind of fun, but also not super well done because it's a very complicated thing that's showing up in the third act. Um, unlike you, I had never heard of this movie. Like, I, I'm i not a Sex in the City person, so all the hype for it just went clear over my head. I had no clue this existed until about 20 minutes before we were like, oh, we've got to 
record for the podcast this week do what movie do you want to watch and you were like let's do deadly illusions um, yeah i've been saving this one for the the new season of and just like that just you know so it coincides with with a Kristen davis thing oh, but wow. um when but as soon out? as we started the podcast i really wanted to do this one i will say it didn't it didn't deliver what I thought it was going to. Like, I remember watching the trailers and everything and being excited for it. And definitely it's not as porny as I want. And it takes some bonkers turns. So I uh, definitely going to get like... into why it's not as porny as you want. But like the that's apparently by design. OK, but um, I agree. Like, it's it's such a sexual movie. It's such a sexual or it movie. could be sexual and, and it, it doesn't it... take those sexual turns. Yeah, it spends most of its time kind of being like, hey, that sex scene you saw, was it real? And it's like, I I would like it to be. I kind of hope it's real. Is well, also, like, I'd, I'd rather see, like, we get, like, a little bit of, like, sexy. Even the things that are sexy don't really, like, don't end up feeling very sexy because, like, they feel, like, strange and not, like, fully consented and, like, you know? So it's like, it never quite takes the sexy turn. I was hoping it was, like, straight up, like, woman starts having sexy time with her nanny and like you know things turn deadly from there sort of sort of scenario and it's not it's not straight up at all that's true and like the twist in the end which we're going to get into in a minute here um as well as like the prologue really color the consent aspect of this movie for me in a way that I don't necessarily appreciate <laughs> like, yeah it's, it takes a turn that is like oh this is not okay um and i think we're dancing around it and i think that's sort of what we expected going into this movie you would obviously this was your second time watching it you're here doing the lord's work yeah um it was my first time and uh let's talk about like what actually happens in this movie for those who either ignored our spoiler alert or just need a little refresher yes so Kristen Davis plays Mary Morrison. She is a writer who became famous for writing a series of what seemed to be somewhat trashy uh, crime novels with a female heroine. But she is retired and has no uh, like no want to go back to her job. Uh, she's happily married. She's got two cute kids, all that crap. And then her husband loses all their money. So she has to take the offer from her old publishers to write a new novel. But when she writes a novel, she goes crazy. She goes all in and she blurs the lines between reality and illusion. So in order to be able to write a novel, she needs somebody to help watch her kids. And she gets a nanny. The nanny is Greer Grammer. I don't, her name was Grace, you know, very like sort of generic, like here's the sweet, la la la. Um, very a sweet. <laughs> very bougie uh, uh, nanny service. Everything about this yeah. movie is like bougie. bougie, bougie, bougie. Sorry. Yeah. So she ends up uh, getting the nanny, Grace. Grace is very sweet and innocent for, uh, you know, around a 20 year old, 21. That doesn't never quite uh 20 year old 21 30 40 who knows yeah she looks around 20 uh she's very sweet and innocent not super worldly and as time goes on really pretty fast actually uh kristen davis starts to have sexual fantasies about the nanny and it's unclear whether these fantasies are real happening in real or are just illusions and she starts to kind of lose her mind a little bit is her husband also having an affair with a nanny is she having an affair with a nanny it's not quite sure 
And then it takes a big twist at the end, which we will get into. I feel like it's more fun for us to just talk about it than it is for me to just explain oh, it. I think we're going to have to spoil that thing. Like, right. Like, you're going to have to rip it off like a bandaid. We can't talk about this movie without having that context. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it colors everything. We can try. Well, it's like it's to me, uh, the crux of a lot of the movie is is the movie real you know like (laughs) that's a big problem i had is like i don't i'm not quite sure how much of what was shown to us was real and how much was not real like it becomes a murder mystery and i'm pretty sure the murder is real but i'm unsure if the murder is real actually you're meant to not know fully if the murder was uh, not that the murder the murder definitely happened yeah but you're not there is no concrete solution as to who the killer was which to me is crazy yeah the idea that Kristen davis's character could still be the murderer is insane it's insane they left it very ambiguous at the end but like yeah that's what i mean like i don't even it's just it's one thing to try and make things like nuanced and stuff and like some movies have done it well and like the movies that do it well do it very well where you're just like oh my god was Sharon Stone really the murderer like you know (laughs) and it's like that's fun but this movie I'm like at a certain point you're just not making a movie if you're not like making this like you either got to do it well with the like is this person the murderer or not like I'm leaving it ambiguous or you got to not do it if you're not making a great movie you kind of just got to give us answers are you a diehard Marvel zombie who compulsively rewatches every movie and TV show you can get your hands on from the House of Ideas? Or are you a new or lapsed Marvel fan looking for an excuse to finally catch up on what your buddies have been going on and on and on about for as long as you've known them? Then folks, do we have the show for you? Head over to the Pop Break Today podcast feed on all your favorite platforms to check out myself, Bill Botkin, and my co-host, Marcus on Bill versus the MCU, where we review every single installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Along with a journey around the Marvel multiverses, where we check in on MCU adjacent content like Netflix's The Defender Saga, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fox's X-Men franchise, and so much more. New episodes premiere the second Tuesday of every month on thepopbreak.com and the Pop Break Today podcast feed. Hey there, this is Josh. And this is Aaron. And we're the hosts of the Anniversary Brothers Podcast. The podcast where we talk about the anniversaries of your favorite TV shows and movies. Hey Aaron, what do Muppet Treasure Island, Arrow, and the birds have in common? Uh, they all feature bird puppets? Close. They're all movies and shows we've covered on the pod. Find our film podcast on the Pop Break Today feed. And find our TV podcast on the Pop Break TV feed. Thanks. Bye. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture-obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make Socially Distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. 
So listen to the Socially Distanced Podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. I was hoping to get into this later during the trivia, but I think we can we still can because the writer director makes an okay case uh, in her own words, and I'll I'll, I'll give her that forum. Uh, we don't have an interview with her. I just mean I'll read quotes from her. But um, <laughs> yeah, she very much was like, "Oh well, I want to make a movie that is is ambiguous. I want the audience to have to do some work with their imagination." And that's true when it comes to the murder mystery. That's true when it comes to the quote unquote twist ending. That's true when it comes to the, you know, is this reality? Is this really happening? And it's true um, of the the just the, the, the sex scenes in general. Like it did this really go down and uh, no pun intended. And that I think it, it walks a fine line. On the one hand, that's an interesting concept. It's interesting. It, like she set out with that goal in mind and definitely made that movie. My question is, is that a good goal to have when making a movie? Because it does just feel like you're not fully telling a story. You're not fully writing it. You're relying on your audience to write your movie for you. And I don't like that shit, but is that a limited view? What do you think? I don't, mind it if you pull it off <laughs> you just like <laughs> you have to be able to pull it off and like honey this was not the movie i i i'm not trying to be an asshole to anyone but we can be too negative on this podcast but well i, I like to i, I walked the line pretty well of like not being super negative and like well, trying tell, to like tell that to uh like... uh what's his name's kid uh uh not nick cage Jack Nicholson's oh, no. kid. Hey, I said he had potential. So I don't even <laughs> feel like that was super negative. That was just a bad movie. Um, That's what we're but, referencing our episode out of the blue for the for the new listener. Exactly. Um, but I don't know if the filmmaker is just green or if she is maybe untalented or if just this was not the budget, the cast and everything to make that movie with. Like, with the resources that I see in this movie, you could make a solid, fun, campy, geez, a solid, fun, campy lifetime movie. And I think that's fun. That's what you go for when you've been greenlit with these resources. You don't think this is like a fun, campy, like where does this lose you in fun and campy? Um, no, I think like, yeah, go for fun and campy, but then don't make it nuanced. Like there's not like a lot ah. of room for, or like if you do, it has to kind of be in a stupid campy sort of way where you're like, ah, ha, ha, like she's throwing the wig off or like, you know, like it's just the way that it was done. It was like somebody thought they were making like Citizen Kane or even Basic Instinct, <laughs> which is Basic Instinct is not high art, but it's still like a good version of this kind of like sexy romantic thriller, like nuanced sort of thing. So, so yeah, oh, I think that if you are trying to do that sort of nuanced thing, you got to know the movie that you're making. And I've seen movies that have done it well. I've you know, like like Basic Instinct, like Dress to Kill has some nuance in it. Like you know, like this is not those movies, and it just ends up being like because you're not giving any answers, and this movie is like towards the bad movie and seems somewhat intentionally bad. 
I feel like if you're kind of making an intentionally bad movie, make an intentionally bad movie, but don't try and be like, oh my God, I'm going to have the twist from Psycho in this movie. Like, yeah. it's like, you can't See, do that. That's the, this is the twist from, no, it's not quite the twist from Psycho. It's, but it's trying very, to be the twist from right Psycho there. slash like Which, dress to kill. For the listener, let's just like rip off the bandaid. She, the nanny has what appears to be uh, multiple personalities um, I forget the actual two personalities, like her main dominant personality of Grace, yeah. which seems to be the the initial personality, and then what was it Maureen or Margaret or something? Mary, Mary who who no 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 Mary was the the uh, oh shit you're right Kristen Davis the... character she's like Maureen or something yeah Margaret. she's got another I think Margaret. she's like Margaret um, and that one seems to have appeared because she was like abused as a child. And uh, by a woman who also appears to have, I believe the, 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 no, by her parents. So she initially was abused by her parents who she was one of eight siblings and her parents like locked them all like in a room, homeschooled them and like didn't feed them. And then it seemed like her brother was sexually abusing her for food and would be like, be Margaret. And then they give her food. It was like literally like the, a 10 second explanation of him being like, be Margaret. And then like handing her food. I forgot all about the, uh, the brother yeah so he was and then she the, was like molested by her brother abused by her parents and like there's and then she was staying with the aunt there's there's a real life case uh i had to do some research on it for an article i can't remember the name of the family and it's, i suppose it's probably best not to uh name them so the kids can have a better life but that's like a real thing like the parents would like lock their kids their multiple kids up in a house and never let them go it's happened um, several times unfortunately there's multiple yeah. cases it's uh and if you're a parent listening let, let your kids go outside yeah um but it but seemed that, like then she went to the aunt's house and the, the aunt also had multiple personalities and one was a nice one and one was like a, a one that would kick the dog yes uh i can't remember, i believe like multiple personality split personality is the preferred nomenclature but if we're getting that wrong uh we do apologize to to any mental health advocates out there yes i am um, very sorry if that we are we are like, genuinely operating on what we think is the right uh nomenclature though um yeah but it's just what bothers me is that that twist comes so late in the movie yeah. and you were mentioning as well that it's like oh this movie seems like it's purposely bad sort of in on its own joke which normally it's like i don't like those as much like you look at a movie like um like my go-to example is always like uh, Piranha 3D or like Nazi Zombies or something like that. Very fun movies, but they're they're like obviously like, eh, we're making something crazy. We're making something a little wild. This isn't going to make sense. We want you to laugh at it and have like fun in the theater. And this movie seems like it's going for that at times, but it's also, and I can't tell if this makes it like a masterpiece or if it makes it a bad version of this movie where like it wants you to laugh at it. It's clearly doing jokes, but it's also like, they're not winking at it. They're not being very overt with it, which like, I don't know. Sometimes it's definitely more fun to watch these movies, like a perfect murder or uh dead calm or stuff like that, where they're they're So this is someone's masterpiece. They're That's trying like a legitimate as, as they can. Yes. Um, Deepwater is a great example of that. Like they're oh, no, not... I hated Deepwater. Yeah, but it's fun to watch as like a no, p- someone thought they were making a really great movie, and like yeah, we're, that's kind of what we do on this podcast. It's a little mean spirited, but they swung and they missed, and it's fun to laugh at that sometimes. When people are like making a bad movie for the sake of making a bad movie, that's a little less fun. That's a little uh, less of that lightning in a bottle quality. This though, I'm torn in both directions. Did they execute it? perfectly 
or is it still just is it just a bad movie that has some elements here and there of like oh you don't have to take us too seriously is it a coward's way out or is it just the most perfectly done version of like piranha 3d and dead snow See, I'm not torn. See, I I like A Perfect Murder. I think that that's a good movie. I think that that is, in ways, very taut. Um, this is not a taut movie. Um, and I don't think it... I don't think that there's um, a level of it being in on its own joke. I don't think that the director slash writer thought that she was making a campy movie like that's the feeling i get because i think if you're starting to make a campy movie nowadays like back in the day and you were making you know whatever movie you could like bring in mental health and like not be respectful for it but nowadays we don't really allow for that in our society we're like if you're going to bring in mental health please don't like be disrespectful i think that she thought she was making a good movie that she could bring in the mental health thing and be like see she was abused by her family and like really feel like oh i'm addressing this like this is a real thing that happens i don't think that there's any sense of winking i don't think there's any sense of camp i don't i don't i genuinely don't think that this person thought oh here i'm making a bad lifetime movie i think they thought i'm making an elevated movie and like maybe they greenlit a a lifetime movie for me but like or lifetime-esque movie for me but i'm gonna make like you know one that's that's elevated and like beautiful and like really well written and and like beautifully shot i don't think that she was aware she was making a bad movie and it is a bad movie and i no. oh go ahead i was gonna say like you can see like by the time that lifetime movies started getting popular and and they had their audience they knew that they were make what they were making and so they like have the woman really lean in and have a very like i'm really dramatic with my performance and like really make things like hammy and stuff and this isn't doing any of the sort of like tropes that you normally see except for starting with water which so many of our movies start with just fucking the credits over like water and waves and stuff Ali, come on it's not just water it's fog over water okay <laughs> that's artistic i don't think um, this was fo- was it fog over water i have in my notes it's fog over water and oh. i also have in my notes like why do all of these fucking movies start that way i wrote that too i was like well, why eyes start with shots of water, was our last man. episode uh no i don't want to like fully contradict you because you're not wrong uh at all ever um yes Thank you. That's recorded. You know. <laughs> I know where my bread is buttered, but uh, in doing the research, I don't want to get too into it, but this director did she, like, it's. I'm trying to think of the right way to explain this. I don't think she set out to make a parody in the way that like later tier lifetime movies did and things like that. But I do, she did use the quote, you have to know the rules to break the rules, which I think means she recognizes the genre she's playing in and made attempts to zig where the audience of regular romantic thriller viewers knows that a zag is supposed to happen. You know what I mean? And uh, so I like, I don't think that means that she made Piranha 3D. I also don't think that means she made a perfect murder. And that's where I am with this movie. It's like, it's somewhere in between. It just, it yada, yada, yada is over parts that I think, it thinks it's subverting the genre when we as the viewer are like, no, I mean, that that was an opportunity to write something. That was an opportunity yeah. to do something clever. Case in point is when uh, Dermot Mulroney explains their money Mulroney. problems. Mulroney, Mulroney. Um, I've heard it both ways. Um, Just from yourself. 
From me and others, yes. If you from must you know. and yourself. <laughs> from you and Margaret. Yeah, from my my Margaret. Um, what was I saying? He killed me. Oh, when he's doing the like, here's our money problems. They do this like weird thing where it's just it's another sort of surrealist moment where like look do i need him to explain the logistics of how they're poor now no but for it to make for it to hang its hat on the idea that it like it skips ahead in the conversation and like plays with the audio it's certainly a good choice it's well done but at the same time i'm like just can't you just write a scene here this is where a scene would go if you're worried it's going to lose my interest that's like a challenge for you to write instead they just kind of essentially do like a thematic yada 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 and it's no good. And then the rest of the movie is a lot of that. There's so many scenes where, like, I want to unpack, we'll get to it next because I want to unpack, like, the meeting of the nanny. But to just stay on this topic a little bit, what makes this movie so perplexing is it's both in on its own joke and swinging for the fence. And, like, in the end, I don't like that because if you're a filmmaker, you can say, if someone liked it, like, yep, that was that was my intent. I really wanted to be provocative. I really wanted to play with the female gaze. Uh, and then if someone didn't like it, they can say, yeah, we were we were we were making a we were making a strange one for you. We thought, you know, we'd subvert the genre and get some yucks in there. And it's like you can't do both. You can't do both. But you're by do by saying you're doing both, you're having it both ways and immunizing yourself to criticism in that way. And that's not uh, what I think artistic or talented people do. See, it doesn't come off as in on its own joke, regardless of what the the director writer wants to say <laughs> after the fact or before the fact or during. It doesn't have, you know, I, I've watched a, a good deal of these types of movies. I've watched a good deal of movies in general, and it just does not come off as being in on its own joke. And that's if you're making campy, you got to like, you know, know how to do that. If you're making not campy, you know, serious, taking it sincerely, you got to know how to do that. And just straddle the line is incredibly difficult. I, I don't know that I can name like anything that straddles the line of camp and serious. I feel like that's that's not a thing people do. And I also think not successful. If you're a new filmmaker and you're not like an immediate prodigy, that it's it's usually important for you to pick a lane because mm. chances are you don't have the skill or the nuance yet in your vision. You haven't figured out what you're doing, what your thing is. You got to, you know, everyone's got to go over the speed bumps. Chances are you haven't figured out, you know, you got to learn to write in print before you can write in cursive. Like you got to figure out like the basics before you can really get fancy with it. Like, it, you That's know, an obviously interesting take on walk before you can run. I like that. Well, but there, but there's, there, you know, there's a lot, there's people that have first time movies that are masterpieces. So it's, but those people are special. They are not the rule. They are the exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. So to think like everyone's goes out thinking I'm going to be, you know, the next Quentin Tarantino making Pulp Fiction, but like, you're, you're probably not. And so to, to think like, I'm going to, I don't have to choose a lane. I'm going to be the person that like, you know, I, I love people trying things outside of the box. I think it's important to do that outside of the box, but I think it also can backfire so fast with like a movie like this. And if you just picked a lane and decided like, Hey, I'm going to make this campy. I think she could have made a solid campy movie. I don't know if she had been like, I'm going to make very sincere, but I think she chose to make a very sincere movie and is kind of backtracking being like, yeah, it's campy. Maybe the people at Netflix or wherever came back and were like, we were looking for campy. And she was like, it is. (laughs) (laughs) That was our directive. Yeah. You, you missed out on the camp question mark. (laughs) Well, so we're talking about this movie in very abstract terms because 
it's hard not to analyze it in that way. But I want to talk about a few specific scenes. And one that I just, I realized in going over my notes, what I think more than any other scene, what I was like feverishly writing was when we first, I'm sorry for the, for the podcast listener, there's clearly a, there's a literal dumpster fire outside of our apartment right now. So for this recording, you may hear some uh, sirens and truck noises and stuff like that. Nothing we can do about that. But anyway. And a fun get... fact, it's on the day that. Uh, fun fact. The uh, the terrifying sky was over NYC. So we've just been dealing with fire after fire after yes, fire today. We're recording on the day that the wildfires from uh, Canada were hopefully at their worst. But hopefully I don't eat those words. Or like the smoke that's over in New York was the yeah. worst. I don't know if the fire themselves in Canada were the worst. So but... we're, we're dealing with some bad air quality and there's a literal dumpster fire outside. So if you hear just a, th- a couple of thunks and a big silence, you'll know why. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to this movie. We've been talking about it in very uh, like abstract terms, which I guess you have to because it's that was the point of this movie was to you know oh, make the viewer think, use their imagination, blah blah blah. But I want to talk about some of the more specific scenes, and one in particular that I realized in going over my notes for this that I ended up jotting down the most during the movie was when we initially meet Grace when she comes in it's after a montage of what were what are supposed to be like bad nanny auditions like this movie thinks it's like the scene from mrs doubtfire yeah talking about like hitting the kids and stuff like that all of these nannies are fine two of them were like i have a sister she's a terror like they use the same bit twice for two of them and like yeah they're perfectly fine and then grace comes and has what i would argue is kind of one of the most rude like introductions of them all i wrote she was rude too like she's so engrossed in her book that she forgets that the like interview has started yes she's like kristen davis is like okay i'm gonna go make tea and she so grace immediately pulls out a book and starts reading but like the, the kitchen is in the same room as the living room it's like a very open floor plan of their apartment or their home rather uh, this very bougie, opulent, uh, somewhat Japanese-inspired home for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk too about the cultural appropriation going on in her first meeting with her, uh, I believe, Japanese like book publisher, and she's wearing like uh, whatever. Um, she so yeah, they're in the same room, and she's making tea, but she starts reading a book as though she dipped into like another room to prepare tea. Yeah. And Kristen Davis couldn't love it more. She's standing four feet away from this girl, just like smiling as she like putters in this book. And then she's like, she sits down and she's like, oh, do you love to read? And she's like, oh, sorry, I was too engrossed in my book. Oh, she's like, oh, but I never read when the kids are around. And it's like, I don't know, like you you poo-pooed other nannies for things as simple as like. Saying the lighting was good for pictures. Yes, stuff like that. And you're like, oh, well, this woman is so engrossed in her book. She didn't recognize me walk in and like sit down next to her. But no, that's totally fine. It's great to see a young person reading an actual book. Yeah. That was weird. And then the scene just gets weirder. She like has to take a call and the kids come in like yelling. And it's another almost surrealist moment where she's like, oh, your mom's, she like introduces herself to the kids and is like, who are twins, by the way, that doesn't really come up. I think they just wanted two kids of the same age. And she is like, oh, well, show me this picture you drew. And then she's immediately like 
in the final parts of a story about the giraffe and elephant that the kid drew. Yeah. It, it re- I didn't understand what happened. Like, did time pass? I think it was supposed to be time had passed. Like, we were watching, like, Kristen Davis, like, on the phone, and a little bit of time had passed. And, like... They did nothing to delineate that that was not part of the same scene. Like, you know, part of the same moment that time had passed. It looked like she was just like, what did you draw there? And then the elephant sat on the giraffe's head. Like, like that's the full conversation. Well, we see no Kristen Davis us like a little bit i don't think it was a long story so i'll give them like maybe that but like i don't know i don't think i was ever that charmed by like adults that fast where like somebody <laughs> making a story by my about the drawing like would have charmed me that much maybe like somebody paying attention to me would have i don't know it just it, it just felt like a little generic the like you know like so many things just feel generic in a lot of these movies because yeah. like they're just trying to be like you know, like the nanny is sweet and wins the kids over. Like, I feel like they would almost do better to just have like either a card or just somebody say like, you know, the nanny's sweet. She wins the kids <laughs> over like versus like try and like just to have the most generic sort of like, oh, look, she's charming the kids over by like talking about their drawing. Yeah, it was it was one. It was generic. And two, it just the, the structure of it really did baffle me. It just didn't make it. It didn't make a ton of sense. And then but I get like. It's the same with like his financial problems that they're discussing where the movie is just like, yeah, Bob's your uncle. She ingratiates herself to the kids and now she's the best nanny ever. And it's like, there's too many of those kind of moments for a movie. Kristen Davis gets over her husband losing like what seemed to be millions of dollars for them because it was like like half their half their money. Yeah, it seemed like it was millions of dollars because she needed to take this offer. A, okay, first of all, I forgot about this and I wanted to mention it because it was so rude. So she gets the offer from her publishers and she's like already off board because she doesn't want to write anything for them. She's like, hey, go away. Bye-bye. So there's also, she has a great line of exposition where she's like, yeah, you want to have a ghostwriter write the next book in my series and you know how I feel about it, but go on. And it's like, okay, oh my God. (laughs) Like, I'm so, I hate exposition. That's that obvious. But so she she shoes them away immediately and they're way too nice to her, honestly, for how rude she is to get them out of the house. But well, then the one guy is because they're kissing her ass because they seem to be her only like their own their, their publishing company's only meal ticket. Yeah, something. But so anyway, so she has the the thing in the envelope and then uh, Dumbledore Roroni comes home and like goes through her fucking shit. Like he opens it and says to her. When were you going to tell me about this? And like $2 million, that's more than you were offered for any of your, more than the advances for any of your other books. Uh, Rude. If you came home and just, and saw that, like, I clearly had like notes from a meeting and just opened the envelope and started going through my shit, I would be pretty annoyed. Oh, well, it wasn't, if I recall though, I, yes, I agree. But if I recall though, it was just laying out with like the mail. It was a sealed, it was a sealed envelope that like was clearly for her. I don't recall and it she, being a sealed. I recall it just it was a, a piece sealed of paper like Manila esque envelope. One of those he ta- he has to take it out of the envelope. Does he? I sw- uh, maybe I've got like a weird brain going on, but I I could have sworn it was just laying out by the mail, like he was putting his keys down and it was just there. No, he takes it out of the envelope, and even oh. if it had been loose. He is so rude in that he goes like, when were you going to tell me about this? And it's like, first of all, dickhead, you just got home. So she's had (laughs) no time to tell you about it. And like, if she had even chosen to not tell you about it, it really wouldn't be that huge a deal because like she has chosen to not do it. So like for her, it was just nothing like it. 
it was so rude. And the fact that she apologizes to him profusely, like several times, she's like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't blah, blah, blah. It's like, I wasn't trying no, to keep anything from you. Yeah, I wasn't trying to keep anything from you. I'm so, I'm sorry, honey. I was going to tell you about it. Like she says, I'm sorry to him like three or four times. My reaction would have been like, why are you touching my shit? Well, you just walked in the fucking door. So when was I going to have time to tell you about oh, this? See, now I, <laughs> this is, might be the birth of a couple's fight right now. But I think if you got a $2 million offer and we had kids, like I deserve to be brought in the loop a little bit. I can't force you to do anything. I certainly can't go through your mail. But she hadn't even opened the envelope, though. Like, she didn't even care about the the offer. Like, that's how yeah. she did not Which want it. So when he I, mentions it's a $2 million offer, that's news to her. So, like, it was clearly still in a sealed envelope. He touched mm -hmm. it before she even did. And then he's, like, going off on her about it. When, like, man, like, just, just have a conversation with her. I do want to circle back to that meeting, though, because one, it, one, it was weird. One, it was, like, we see a day in her life and she dresses in, like, a very Japanese-inspired dress to meet this guy and... She greets them. They go into their weird, like, outdoor, indoor space and sit and they talk. And she's like, well, you want a ghostwriter to write my a spinoff of my book? And you know how I feel about that. And then they're like, oh, we want you to write a new book. And she's like, absolutely not. What did you think this fucking meeting was about? Your yeah. publishers are here. They don't just want tea. They want you to work. And she's so, like... Well, she clearly told... thought it was about the ghostwriter thing, which, like, why... Why then take let the meeting? Yeah, why take the meeting? Like, if you were going to say no either way to new book, you were going to say no to ghostwriter, you were going to say no. But it's like I hate the like really cheesy exposition of the like this is this is what I think the meeting's about, and clearly we've had this conversation many times. But go on, it's like okay, yeah. like I don't need that. Like you can have them deliver the exposition and be like, I know you've said no to a ghostwriter, but how about you know well, you write a new novel? Then what bothers me, I guess it's just integrity. She doesn't want someone else handling her characters. But we yeah. find she doesn't want to write a new book because she becomes a different person when she writes. And her best work came when she was in a really dark place and she doesn't think she can write a compelling or good story because her life is so... I mean, her life is so good at the start yeah. of this movie. Her life is... She's, it's the, good in it and she acknowledges that it's pretty perfect. So I appreciate does, that. But it's good to the point where it's like... Eat, like I, I don't buy this sexual tension from this woman or that she's unsatisfied in any way. Yeah, like, her husband goes down on her twice in one night. In, in goes like down on her twice in one night and in between refuses a blowjob. <laughs> Which is, I mean, like, talk, talk about moments where you're like, is this real? That's insane. <laughs> Although I, it was post him, I think, revealing that or maybe Brief. it was, bef it's it was before, before he reveals, but it's after well, so he finds out about, though. it's after he finds out about the $2 million. So maybe he's like, I wrote down, he's, he's definitely working for that $2 million. Yeah, man. Yeah. That the, the, the moment where she like goes to go down on him and he's like, Oh no, no, no. I'm going to do you a second time. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? What is this? That's this not. This whole movie seems like a fantasy. Yeah. Like there, did Kristen Davis write this? <laughs> it was very strange. And um, she even has that line to her friend too, where like her, when she starts telling her friend that she has like the lesbian feelings for the nanny yeah. and she's like, well, are you sexually unsatisfied? And she's like, no, he's great. No complaints there. And it's like, okay, so your life is perfect. <laughs> um, and she really doesn't like, I think she says she doesn't want to write the book. I think the big reason she gives is she doesn't want to stop being like a full-time mom, which is why the whole nanny thing ends up coming. 
into. She gives a lot of reasons. It was so stupid to me, though. There was one line where, like, she's talking to her husband in between all of the nanny visits right before Grace arrives. And she says um, that she doesn't know if they're going to find a good nanny. And she just can't imagine anybody uh, raising her kids as well as she would. And it's like, yeah, no shit. You're their <laughs> mother. You choose to be around them. Of course, somebody you're paying to force to be with your kids is not going to raise your kids as well as you will. That doesn't. Uh, that's a stupid request to have of someone that you are paying to be there. That's not even the most narcissistic thing Kristen Davis's character says in this entire movie. Do you remember when they're having the picnic, which is, by the way, just a date? Yeah. Like, if I saw you leaving with our nanny to go on a bike ride picnic by a lake with wine and just like a basket and stuff like that, I would be like, you guys are going on a date? Like, it's it's yeah. just a date. There's no like friendliness to it. But she said they start um, making out and Kristen Davis says, I see a lot of myself in you. She and knows, then she says that and then and then goes in for kisses. Right. And then, right. and then they kiss and then she pulls away and says, I wrote it down you're so so perfect like i see a lot of myself in you because you're so so perfect it's i wrote insane. down it's such a weird thing to say i see so much of myself in you and then kiss somebody like that is so the it's it takes away any compliment that i was supposed to have from yes. that like i'm like if I'm if I admire you because you're this famous successful writer and you say you see a lot of yourself in me, that is a compliment. Like you know, if I get that compliment from like Stephen King or like Barbara Kingsolver, I'm gonna be like, thank you. That is that's a really amazing compliment. But to get it from someone who is attracted to me and then immediately kisses me, I am like, do you want to just make out with a mirror instead? Yeah, like, should what's I just going bring on? a mirror in here? Like, but are you just she... attracted to me because I remind you of you? Because that this uh, is weird. I also wrote down it's because you funny you mentioned it. It's the third and final like cog in the weird Grace introduction scene when Kristen Davis is like, "Oh, if you like books, come here." And she brings her to the library, and Grace notices that Kristen Davis is a writer, and she is like so starstruck. She even says the line of like, wow, you're a real life writer. Like an, yeah. I, I'm in the, I'm standing with an actual writer. And it's like, yeah, I mean, she is a, it would be one thing if she was like, oh my God, you're Mary Morrison. I'm a fan of your work. Like that's insane. But she is just like floored by the fact that she is a published author. Yeah. Which is no offense to our author friends out there, a very attainable goal. It's very attainable it is an attainable it take, goal it takes work i'm not trying to say like anyone can do it but it is not something to be like bowled over by it's not unheard of i mean to be Ex as unheard of it's not unheard of yeah the fact that she has a series of books you know that is you know that's made much more rare so i can see where that's impressive but this woman is also or a young young woman is also bowled over by the fact that she finds out that Judy Bloom wrote more than one book. Judy Bloom, <laughs> who is a famously prolific, prolific writer. <laughs> like, it's like, what? She's like, oh, I didn't know she had more than one book. And it's like, wait, uh, I'm not going to let you watch my kids. Like, you didn't know that Judy Bloom, you, you claim to be a book lover who didn't know that Judy Bloom had more than one book. Yeah. Idiot. Um, yeah, so... Let's get into, let's, let's dive right into it because this movie up until the third act, when it becomes a murder mystery slash slasher, um, is just it's never quite a slasher. Never, well, there are slashes. 
Uh, <laughs> it never quite, it's wall to wall, just like sexual tension. We've talked to death about how it's like, ooh, was it real? Was it not? Bah, bah, bah. But it is a lot of Kristen Davis hungrily looking at this young woman and just wanting to have a lesbian romance with her. And it seems like the lesbian romance is her com- like her complete guiding star, her complete driving force. Yeah. Because she, as we mentioned, her life is immaculate. She's sexually satisfied. She's They've got money problems, but they've got like, They've got rich people money problems. Like, oh, we suddenly have half the money we used to. They're going to be fine. I guess I have to take this book deal to earn back $2 million. million We'll be perfectly fine and back to where we were. Exactly. And it's like, it only takes a couple weeks, it seems, for her. Conservatively, I'll say like a month or two for her to write this book in full. Yeah, I think it's supposed to, we're supposed to think it's like a month or two. And the rest of the time, it's just her like, smoking cigars and like gawking at this teen to the the most overt of which is like they have that scene where she like swims in the pool with the kids and her and her friend elaine who i don't think was named until she was dead but on the imdb page like she has her name slash mary's friend and it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i really was like i it's possible i missed it but i was keeping an ear out when they're having that scene in the spa and all of this i was like oh it's the generic best friend and then she becomes like a full-fledged character, uh, a yeah. real important like part of the plot. And I was like, what is her fucking name? <laughs> like this actress, the actress once? was a producer on the film, as was Greer Grammer, the the nanny. Yeah. Which is um, weird to me that as a producer on the either I don't I want to know which came first, the chicken or the egg, producing credit, and then you they were like, I guess we'll give you the best friend role, or were you like best friend role and then talked your way into the producer? I don't know. Yeah. I did that's just a side question I have. But um, what was what was I saying? She oh, her and the friend have this moment where they like you can tell they're like sowing the seeds of like oh I think she's gonna have enough try to steal your man like oh is Dermot Mulroney giving her like too much of a look is he checking her out but 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 and then that's all in service of the later twist being that it's actually Kristen Davis who is has the the wandering eye but if you really just like take a step back and look at that scene. These are just two grown women unnecessarily sexualizing this young woman who's done nothing but yeah. be a good nanny to her kids. They're yeah, just the friend is there. like the friend is like, oh, of all the bathing suits you had, you had to give her the one piece that's straight out of Playboy. And it's like, I don't know. She looks good in it because she's like a good looking woman. And like, you know, most women look sexy no matter how they look like they look sexy in, in bathing suits, one piece, bikinis, whatever. It's like an attractive one piece but it's not like oh my god like oh yeah. sexiest it's not like a thong or something like she's like straight out of playboy it's like no it's a it's a pretty average looking one piece that looks attractive on an attractive woman and it's inappropriate too because when kristen davis and her are in her like closet which is of course larger than our apartment yeah uh she you can tell that grace is like clearly uh has modesty issues she's she's uncomfortable wearing the bathing suit she's trying to cover it up with the fabric as much as she can. Kristen Davis mercifully is like, would you like a cover up? And she's like, so relieved. Like, yes, it's inappropriate to them. Like, even though she's not with an earshot, be like, oh man, that backless dress, she's a real hottie in that. Can you tell? But she bet my husband wants to fuck her, but she better not. It's such an inappropriate conversation. But it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't Kristen Davis saying, bet my husband wants to fuck her. It's like her friend, as soon as she, her friend is the one who suggests she gets a fucking nanny. Her friend is the one who gives her the card. And then as soon as she comes over, this is her first seeing of the nanny. She's like, 
She's like, bet your husband wants to fuck her. And then every scene from then on is her being like, bet your husband wants to fuck the nanny. Bet your husband. And it's like, uh, either Kristen Davis is telling her, hey, I want to fuck the nanny. Or like the friend is like, I bet your husband wants to fuck her. And then the then she, see, she later on sees the husband and the nanny dropping the kids off at school and like looks at them strangely like from yeah. her car and like follows them or something. And it's like, it's not weird for them to be dropping the kids off together. How... Like, what What do you want out of him? Like, it does get weird later, but, like, you weren't around for that. All you yeah. were witnessing is just a normal interaction of, like, them doing something that is kid-centric and, and dropping the kids off. Meanwhile, this best friend, every time she's around Dermot Mulroney, Mulroney, it, shut up, is doing something inappropriate. She, like, asks him to dance when they're at dinner like she like does like that weird couple swap thing which i don't know if we were out on a double date and the other guy was like ah we're all having fun here ali come dance with me there would be part of i'm not like a particularly jealous person but there is a part of me that would be like that's this feels like a power move dude what are you doing i don't know i don't think that that's that weird but it's like she she goes over the top of like fixing his tie and i was gonna say that by itself the dance thing by itself isn't weird but when they're at the recital yeah and she's like playing with his tie and giggling and like just like moving close to him and all of that it's like oh you're you're inappropriate you're flirting you're flirting with the husband and then it turns out that's all a red herring but it's also like i mean was it she's flirting full on with the husband yeah it's the friend annoyed me for like because of the fact that she like immediately was like you should get a nanny I'm going to bully you into getting a nanny. Your husband wants to fuck the nanny. It's like, okay, are you just somebody that's never satisfied with anything? Because you're very annoying. Yeah, she's a little shit stir, I think. That's what we're learning about Elaine. Yeah, she she gets what's coming to her. (laughs) (laughs) You you stir shit, you get scissors in the throat, man. I also, so speaking about the, like, yeah, Elaine gets murdered by scissors. Um, It's like, it's like the generic thing that happens in all of these kinds of movies where like the best friend is like, maybe helping investigate and then gets murdered um i hated where so she's stabbed with these scissors and then we get a flashback because like kristen davis ends up being like the suspect she found the body blah blah um and the police are mentioning that her fingerprints are on the scissors and we get a flashback of a scene we didn't see with her fingers being uh touching the scissors because she's cutting like something off of her like a like a lock of hair of her daughters at the dance recital that we were at I hate things like this. Like, show us her using the scissors to cut the the piece of hair. And then we'll be aware, you know, like, to show us the flashback later as if we had seen it, but we hadn't. You're not dropping breadcrumbs for us. You've just, like there's just a cake waiting at the end of the lane like we haven't followed any breadcrumbs there (laughs) and then they show like an alternate version where it's grace who like steals the scissors but it's like okay but at that point why do the scissors have to goddamn come from the recital why couldn't like they're scissors that's such an odd murder weapon to like bring you know what i mean to make her and dermot mulroney and like and Grace, all suspects, I think, because it's like the husband was like. I would have loved suspect. it if it was just Dermot Mulroney and drag. If that ended up being the twist, that would have been great. But then that, see, that's copying another movie. So it's like there's that's too true. many movies that like it. The, all these it, they've all been done before. So that's why you have to do a good job if you're going to try and like either break off or like retread it. And to to do a good job with neither is not great. <laughs> but 
yeah, the friend dying is so like <laughs> I I like Kristen Davis. She was sort of always the weak link on Sex in the City. She earned the least amount of Emmy nominations. Like she always had a little bit of an over the top, not grounded performance. Um, and she definitely brings those shades to finding her best mm. friend dead, where she's like, ah, ooh, ee, uh, oh, oh goodness, ha, ha. Wait, so I do think like, I wrote down. Uh, hold like on. no tears, no, no screaming. I wrote it down because, like, listener, this is not how you. In so many of these movies, if I can do a PSA, when you call nine one one, just immediately blurt out your location. That's the most important thing. Just blurt it out. The nine one one operator is ready for it. They're not going to do anything until you give them that. Like, blurt out your location. Do not say, "quote nine one one, please hurry, please come." Oh my god. What is the 911 operator supposed to do with that? That is a quote. That I is love the, the exposition thing. of like making sure we know who she's calling. 911? Like yeah. who who fucking calls 911 and, and then calls them 911? Also, in 100% of the United States, they answer the phone like 911, what's your emergency? The response to that is not 911. Like, yeah, they already yeah. said that. So <laughs> so that's not that's not her name. <laughs> like, <laughs> or his. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I, and then even saying operator would have made more sense. But like, yeah, just say I need the police. Like, I'll know I'll I'll fill in the blanks that you called 911. If you say I need an ambulance, I need the police or just please send someone. Any of those would have made more sense than 911. I was so annoyed by that beginning that it took me out of whatever she was saying next and then just it's, it's not only that it's 911 please hurry like the yeah. entity 911 is going to arrive at yeah. the scene she's such a, like a rich white lady that she's so out of touch <laughs> with how things work but she like there's no tears there's no like oh my there's no screaming there's no backing away in shock she just kind of like flails her arms around ah, ah, and then 911 911 may i speak to your manager <laughs> exactly uh the so I want to talk to you about. So look, so I guess let's talk about if this wouldn't be our podcast if we don't talk about the sex scenes a little bit because they are steamy but also surreal. A hundred percent of them end with Kristen Davis just falling asleep, yeah. and then like she passes out. It's so hard to tell if they're real because well, so when, like... when she catches her with Dermot Mulrooney in the kitchen and they're and she's clearly like being the more like dominant type, like she's a completely different person. Um, she, like you hear a little voiceover of her being like when Kristen Davis passes out, the last thing she hears is Grace slash Margaret or whomever saying like, she won't remember any of this, which leads you to believe she's drugging her. Yeah. But no, that no. never is like explained or anything like that. So why does Kristen Davis keep falling the fuck asleep and forgetting? And why do all of these sexual encounters live in this weird surrealist dream state? We're so, I think that's all supposed to be explained away by the fact that when she writes, she said she becomes a different person and she loses herself in this world of the. I think that is what oh the movie is God. positing: is that you, like we all we have to buy that like she's in this weird uh, point between fantasy and reality where she can't discern what's real and what's not because this is what happens when she writes. She becomes a different person. She apparently becomes a person with like disassociative personality disorder, which is not healthy and cannot 
function as a parent or as a human being and God, like has I... blackouts like none of that seems conducive to writing and none of it seems <laughs> like anybody should be allowing you to write more often like i feel like they should be putting you in the hospital um, i think you're i think you're right and i don't know why but i'm mad at you for explaining that but <laughs> it's fine i'll, I'll take it <laughs> this has been not couple goals thank you for listening no, i'm joking um so I, I also want to discuss the I, uh, uh, great great what is it Grace Grammar? No, Greer Grammar. Greer Grammar, um, Kelsey Grammar's daughter. We'll get into that. Uh, has which makes it a lot harder to get a boner when you're watching these <laughs> when you're looking for like aspects of Kelsey Grammar in this young beautiful woman's face. I just hear yeah, like how like how we used to shout down Niles when he would get too. Hey horny baby, for I hear the blues are calling. Like, Niles. Like, oh, she's kind of hot. Tyler. Oh, sorry, Kelsey. Um, any- <laughs> the doctor <laughs> is in. Stop it. Stop it right now. Um, the She basically ends up having to play two roles in this movie. Oh, goodness. Sure, she only plays one for like a second, but there is another part of the movie where she's clearly playing the other person, persona that she has, which is when her and Dermot Mulroney clearly? go out to lunch. No, when her and Dermot Mulroney go out to lunch, and then they're like... Oh, Roni. Uh, boy is is, and they're driving home she it's like so jarring that she's like a different person she's like stretching to show her under boob and all of that and she's like weird yeah she's like ordering a bloody mary and yeah and they're in the car and she's just like dancing and they're both like jamming out to like the bubbliest song that i do not believe he has on his ipod that's another pet peeve of mine. It's like another sort of like thing where like I hate the scene in Cruel Attentions with like the the making the faces. It's like when Sorry, people Alex. are people are having too much fun in a situation because the movie wants, wants us to be not in a car, but like the movie wants us to see like two people having fun and just makes a s- situation yeah. where that is not as fun just be like oh these people are having a great time doing it and it's like well are did they both sustain a head injury during lunch like it's like she's acting straight up drunk like yeah she... they're both acting so like so drunk and like this is like like they both feel alive like she opens the window and is like woo out the window and it's like you're not like riding in a convertible you're still riding yeah. in their like suv you're just listening to a song you like and kind of like you know chair dancing a little bit and like or you're supposed to buy that this is you ha- like having freedom and showing this other sexy side to yourself to him. And like, he's feeling free uh, because of how you're acting and, and like what you're, but, it's so stupid. And that also bothers me. Like talk about an underwritten male role, which you don't hear much about, Yeah, but um, he's like so enamored with her because like, Oh, you just seem so free. And, and, and it's like a whole different side of you. And it's like, yeah, man, she's like an early 20 year old and she's having like some drinks. Like she, it's not abnormal to see her be free. I get it's different from what you've seen from her before, but what you've seen from her before is in a professional context. She's like, your employee. <laughs> For you to be so like, oh man, like there's, there's really something to this girl. And it's like, I mean, no, there's not. She's just a like 20 something, young 20 something who's like enjoying, like vibing to some music. Like that's it. She ordered a Bloody Mary and like kind of flirted with you a little bit. That's it. It's not like this big thing, but sure enough, it's like all he needs, despite being very sexually satisfied, despite his wife essentially like, it seems like he does work and work hard but like they want for nothing in their marriage he's in such a position that he can totally fuck up like whatever he doesn't work 
and your wife like, is not mad at you, still has sex with you the next day in the pantry. There's nothing wrong with their lives for, so it makes no sense that like, it's all just gluttony. It's just gluttonous to be hungry for this young 20 something year old. Who's like, also your nanny, you're going to blow up this like beautiful life you have for what her, she's not that enticing. Like, yeah, she's not that enticing. She's not filling any kind of emotional void. So it's just horniness. And like, they've got no reason to be horny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big problem with this movie. And that scene really drove me nuts because you got to remember Rony, Rooney. He's a good actor. Uh, you could give him a lot, but instead you kind of just give him this like bumbling husband, like fuckboy husband role. Yeah. And it's just like, it's that the scene does nothing to show us why they would be attracted to each other or that like, you know, we're supposed to buy after you see the end of the movie that she's like the other personality, that she's the bolder, like sexy, like Margaret. Like dominatrix and, type too, which I also and, don't get him being into. Well, but also like she's not showing that she's a dominatrix in the car. Like there's nothing like overtly sexual. She's just kind of jamming out and like stretching a little provo- like a little provocatively and then going woo out the window. And like Teehee when he's like, hey, because it's fucking weird. You're not riding in a limo on prom night. Like there's, it doesn't make sense. I just, I hated that scene so much. I, I will say that that stretch was more than a little provocative. Well, I, it's like, it's not like she like bent over and like spilled something in his lap, you know? I mean, like, it, it had the same like gravitas though. No, bending over and touching his crotch would have been like how he acted like, it was like a was clear like, signal that like she's trying to get sexy with him. Yeah, but I'm just saying like there's a difference between like, you know, bending over and like being like, oh, I spilled something in your lap. Let me clean it up versus like just doing like a sexy yawn. Like it's like, OK, it's a sexy yawn. Calm down. Uh, like that I thought was so stupid. Like there were there were so many moments where I was just like, why are you doing this? So here's something that I wanted to make sure was said for someone that they hired as a nanny. She sure doesn't do a whole lot of nannying in this movie. <laughs> like, no, you're right. In fact, the only time we see her interact with the kids uh, beyond like the initial thing and when she's swimming in the pool with them is when she's like stroking the boy's hair and like humming to him while he's sleeping. And it's 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 packaged between all the sexual stuff in such a way that I was kind of like, is she molesting those kids? Because yeah. there was also a scene too where she like says, let's all get in the shower yeah and i was like is is that gonna be the twist if so this is upsetting no i yeah i didn't think it was gonna be the twist but i definitely thought that scene was oddly sexual because she's like he's like kind of close to her boobs when she's like stroking his head and i was like well good luck not having awkward boners about this nanny for the rest of your life like it's gonna be real uh, stuck in that subconscious but like she never And if the daughter's anything like her mom hers as well yeah right they spend so many times just distracting their nanny Like, A, the kids are at school for a lot of the day, so I don't know why. Like, she's not hired as nanny slash housekeeper, but she ends up seeming to do housekeeping. 100%, yeah. Because she says at one point, like, oh, my goal for, because I wrote this down, she's like, my goal for the day is the kitchen, and then tomorrow the office. And I'm like, looking at that immaculate home, I would be like, you're not getting a full day of pay for what, wiping down the counters? This kitchen is immaculate. You are not, you're doing both of those today. Again, and she was hired as the nanny. Like, we're told this is nanny. And she's, we see, like, I think two or three scenes of her, very quick scenes of her actually doing any nannying. 
And like very early on, like it's like her second day of work or something. And Kristen Davis is like, let's play hooky. And it's like, okay, it's not playing hooky if you're the employee. That's just me being forced to be around you for a day when you drag me around doing whatever the hell you want to do. And I have yeah. to just pretend to be okay with it. And, and what, she what she wants to do yeah, okay, yes. is buy the nanny bras and they, make not the nanny bras. go bra shopping with that her. That is lingerie. And they're at to, like a sexy lingerie show. And have to try it on in front. Like she doesn't leave the dressing room to give her any privacy. And then she's the one who acts surprised when the nanny turns and just shows her her boobs basically mid try on. She's the one who brought a front clasp bra into the like into the tr- the fitting room and then put it on her. Of course, she's going to have to turn around and show you her boobs. You need to clasp it in the front. It's weird that you are clasping the front clasp bra for her, for your employee, the nanny. Yeah. And it's weird that your suggestion for what you wanted to do with playing hooky was basically force the nanny to get new bras because you thought her bras weren't sexy enough or you thought she wasn't like worldly enough to decide to get sexy bras. So you've taken it upon yourself to decide that she needs sexier bras. It's inappropriate that you're buying her stuff. It's very inappropriate that you're buying her lingerie and like trying it on with her. And like forcing her to try it on in front of you. Yeah, I thought, I thought because she like looks down and sees like through her cleavage and she's like let's play hooky and they go to the bra store i was like is her bra like dirty or old or something like that and she's like taking sympathy on her but like no she's just horny for this nanny and does something wildly inappropriate like something that you would it it, it's hard like you know i'll suspend you know suspension of disbelief when watching movies sure but this one was almost like too far. I'll buy people can fly and like mute people are mutants and stuff. I don't buy that like th- this scene would happen in life and like anyone would be okay with it. You know, like yeah, it, the, the fact that she would be bold enough to be like, hey, I'm going to buy like we're going to go bra shopping. You're going to try these bras on in front of me and I'm going to clasp them for you. And that the nanny would be like anyone would at 20 would be like, okay. And then the nanny gets like sexual with it, but we'll get into that in our next segment. The other thing just worth noting is that like Kristen Davis thinks she works for like this bougie agency. She doesn't think she's got this like desperate person who's like hungry for her money or yeah. anything like that. This there's nothing stopping uh, the nanny from just kind of being like, that was inappropriate. I'm think we're going to send another nanny from the agency. Oh no, like, ban this woman from the agency. She yeah. will touch the nanny's boobies. Now it turns out she's not really with the agency because she's a fraud. Bah, 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 bah. But like, there's no, Kristen Davis should be wary of that. Is, but then that Dermot moment. Mulroney does the same thing. I was like, that's what I wrote down. When the fuck does this woman actually do any nannying? Yeah. He, he says, hey, let's go out to lunch. And she says, no, she does not want to go out to lunch with him. And he... Not because she has to worry about the kids because she has cleaning to do. Yeah, he prods her and is like, come on, I think you could use, you know, the, the time out. And so forces her to go to lunch and then is like a little like, oh, when she like gets a like uh, uh, Bloody Mary. And Bloody then Mary by and the a time, slice of quiche. By the time they're driving home, it is now nighttime. It is dark outside. Didn't so get that either. What did you guys do all day? You you both are making her just you're paying her to play hooky because you're both weirdly sexually attracted to her. When is she nannying? Also, you're holding her hostage when you guys feel like going out on these weird errands. Like she's your employee. She has to hang out with you. She may not even like it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so I, I, I danced around it a little bit, but now I kind of want to get into our 
uh, funniest, best, sexiest scenes segment because there's one that like really perplexed me and kind of colored the whole movie for me. We alluded to it a little earlier, but if I may, I'm going to go first sure. because it's the very end. Yeah, that's a very the, perplexing. There's so like there's the big twist. She attacks Dermot Mulroney. He puts up the worst fight I've ever seen in movie history. And, you know, she tries to attack Kristen Davis, but Kristen Davis clobbers her with a uh, vase, I think. And, you know, the you and know, then runs away in a way that no person has ever she she used to jog in Sex in the City and she runs like somebody that's never even put one foot in front of the yeah. other. It's like it's the craziest, most cartoonish, like sort of run. It's absolutely wild. And then um, so, you know, the, the action sort of stops and now that it's been revealed that Mary slash Grace slash Margaret, whatever their name is, uh, you know, has this mental disorder. We find her, I think, like a year or six months later or something, living in some kind of like institution. And Kristen Davis goes and visits her. But in the, in her like room in the institution, she has like like crayon drawings on the wall. She has board games. She's sitting in a very like like weird dress, like crisscross on the floor, playing cards. It's like she's a child. Yeah. It's like she's like, uh, like the room and her mannerisms in that final scene are that of a child's. And I'm like, what are, what are we doing here? She is, is, is this persona not a full grown woman was all the sexiness from the other personality who is like a sexual woman and just grace is a child. Like I didn't get what they were talking about there, what they were acting out. And it, to me colored the entire movie. Well, because... yeah, because uh, Kristen Davis even says to her friend earlier when she's describing her her sexual attraction to the nanny, she says part of it comes from the fact that she feels like she would do whatever she asked of her, like yeah. the nanny would do whatever she asked of her. And like part of it seems to come from like the innocence that she also has. So for all of that innocence to then be like, oh, she kind of was stunted because she was abused by everybody in her life. It's so it, it, it does it makes the sexiness of the movie gross. And so she's great with the kids. She's uncomfortable in a one piece. She doesn't think twice about showering with the kids, like all of this stuff. She's like uncomfortable around the adult. Like is the other personality trapped in childhood? And if so, what kind of movie did you just make me watch? Yeah. It's, it's gross on that level. Um, yeah, I, I had that feeling too, where I was just like, I don't know what you're supposed to tell me about and, this. And also like, was, does that mean that all of the sexual encounters, like I've chosen to believe that all of the sexual encounters were real because I think too. it's too confusing a movie. Otherwise, the ones with Dermot Mulrooney were real because Kristen Davis is not in the room when he says, I told you, I didn't want to play those games anymore. And yeah. that kind of thing, like that, that happened. And so I also think the ones with Kristen Davis were real. Because we yeah. also have hints of that, like, you know, when she she gives her the, like, happy ending in the bathtub. And then, um, she like, when Kristen Davis kind of, like, orgasms and, like, opens her Passes eyes, she's, like, alone. No yeah. Uh, but all of the rose petals and the, like, milk and everything that, like, Grace had still there. The bathtub, yeah. yeah, still there. And she has a sort of, like, confused look on her face. So I have chosen to believe that those were all. And, like, there's also that horrible one at the end when really quickly she, like 
she's like, you deserve this. Let me go down on you. And she like goes down on her in the kitchen. And then the family walks, like the husband and the kids walk in and Grace quickly like jumps up from behind the counter yeah. and like pulls a pube out of her mouth. <laughs> Is that what she did? I thought she just sort of wiped her mouth. No, she like pulls a pube out of her well, mouth. Well, do you remember what they were cooking and eating that got them so hot and bothered? The sexiest I... food I can possibly think of? No. Chili. Ah, uh, yes. Being like, like the magical yeah. fruit. Um, but yeah, I've chosen to believe that. I think that one seems the most real because it's the only one where she doesn't like pass out after. It seems like grounded in reality that it's not. She does though then go pass out though, doesn't she? She goes. She gets a little woozy and has to go to sleep. Yeah, but I count that. So were those all Margaret? Like it seems like yes. That's my question. Were those all Margaret acting like, like the innocent Grace because she knew that's what Kristen Davis was attracted to? yeah that's what i think i don't know the movie that's why it's so at times this character is the most sexual being i've ever seen and apparently a child which is really fucked up really uncomfortable i think think we're also like not what i want in my movie diet i think we're also supposed to believe that like great it's not grace because like when they have their first like encounter and like that it kind of seems dreamlike it's like they they have another oh my god we're dancing to music tee hee hee dancing Ugh. it's the least sexual dancing two women have ever done with each other like i've done more sexual dancing with like relatives than like they do <laughs> it's like, so gross um and then like they're like winded after like half a song and it's like you guys are in better shape than this but yeah. anyway then it kind of turns sexy after that and then kristen davis like brings her away because she feels weird about it at like the the dance recital and she says hey what happened before can't happen again and we shouldn't talk about it but you dragged her out to talk about it so you're very confusing and then grace says to her i don't know what you're talking about and yeah um, and kristen davis reads it as like wink wink and she's like oh okay great um but maybe that's that's the movie trying to tell us that grace actually doesn't know what she's talking about you know i agree and also you you, in that scene though like when they get exhausted after dancing it doesn't get it doesn't get sexy. Grace has a moment where she starts crying and being like, I've never felt this loved and accepted, which you learned later learn. Like, yeah, it makes sense given her upbringing. And then Kristen Davis kind of hugs her and is like, oh, sweetie, don't worry. We weren't, we're not going to get rid of you or anything we'll like that. Forever. We'll love you forever. She gets very motherly like you do with a child. And I think yeah. that's what the big twist is. But it does turn sexy. She lays, da- like, she lays down falls asleep and then she kind of like wakes up a little bit and you see grace quote unquote there with kind of a sinister smile like clearly in like the margaret persona so i think doing something sexual to her like like yeah her boobs so i think what happens like she comforts her they like lay down a little bit like cuddling kristen davis falls asleep margaret takes over while she's asleep and then wakes up to her doing something sexy I don't know that it started when Chris, I don't think it, it started when Kristen Davis was asleep. I think it was just like one of those things where like. I think it was. I think she like, they have like a, and it's hard to tell with this guy. Well, because she because... seemed like she was like, she, something had happened that maybe we didn't witness that she was complicit in. It's the way that she talked about it. Um, the whole movie is so confusing because it's deadly illusions. So it's illusions. It's all illusions. You can't tell uh, what's real and not what's a, not. But it's, it's almost not like illusions. there's no movie. Uh, yeah but it's not illusions Uh, and it's also like it tries to do the thing like a lot of these movies like the boy next door and stuff like they'll do some re like like usually it's the best friend will do some research but like in this one it was just like 
the the nanny place called and was like hey why haven't or no she called the nanny place and was like why haven't you cashed my check and they were like there's no grace here dun 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 and um and then she's supposed to go to her best friend to like do the research and the research kind of gets just like completely skipped over like she never does any like i guess she does do actually yeah she goes to because she goes to Crazy Aunt's house. In like some other part of which bothered me because they pull up to the house and suddenly the visual language of this movie is they like have a lower third delineating. I wrote that is. too. I was like, you like, can't just add a Chiron just randomly. You can't add a Chiron randomly when also it's like, what was it like Hills Springs, California? For all yeah. I fucking know, the whole movie took place there and they never mention where they live. So what are you yeah. doing? Well, uh, I guess it was so disjointed because she like, she goes to her friend to uh, to have the the moment where the friend helps her investigate the friend is murdered then we get like there's a murder investigation and then she kind of ends up doing the rest of the investigation and it, and it's so disjointed and and then she calls her husband to be like hey don't let grace in the house and her husband just doesn't care about answering her phone calls apparently um and yeah and then there's the craziness the actress's performance like Greer grammar's performance oh honey when she was supposed <laughs> to be going back and forth, I felt so like bad for her. Like I felt like she and the director probably ha- like I feel like that I could picture the director giving uh like an interview being like, oh, and she has this great moment where she has to play two different characters. And I feel like Greer Grammer had that moment too, where she's like, oh yeah, I get to play two different characters, like having a fight with each other. It's great. It is the worst example I've ever seen of somebody switching between two personalities. And I've, we've seen a lot of these kinds of bonkers movies. She hits the C word in that scene, like a ton of bricks. She really goes for it. But like nothing else. Like it's like, she's like, Kill, kill them no i don't want to kill them you should kill them oh i don't want to you're mean like it's like and so embarrassing margaret for all of this like string pulling she's doing does not have a compelling reason why these two people need to die yeah i didn't Honestly, get that at, at a certain point just reveal the affair with both of them to everybody and y'all can have a polyamorous Poly- throuple it's and like Durham already like seemingly hints at that at one point when he's like, should we make her more a part of the family? That yeah. was I thought the twist was going to be that they're like, oh yeah, we've done this before. We've invited a third in. Why not? No, oh, it was just that. a weird throwaway line. Kristen Davis gives him such a weird look when he says that, and it is like like it, maybe she's it's supposed to be like she's suspicious that he is having an affair with her too. But like, girl, you've been having an affair with her too. Or even if yeah. you're not fully aware, if you're not fully aware of whether those were real or not, you still know that you're sexually attracted to her and have been wanting to have an affair with her. You at least took her bra shopping and touched her boobies. So like. be more like you just the two of them just need to have an honest conversation of like so we both want to fuck this nanny right and then like so many of their problems are solved and the like the other problem with this movie is like so one person dies and like you know elaine there's a there's no like grief for elaine they don't really mourn elaine even at the end like there's just no like like she's like at elaine's grave but i still feel like nobody's really like been like oh i miss elaine like they're kind of just like she's like i wrote a book for you i'm leaving it here bye-bye um and i just feel like because there's no stakes of like murdery there's no the hand that rocks the cradle like creepiness built up or anything like that it's like the 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 two personalities come out of nowhere and then like she she kill like she tries to kill dermot mulroney in the horrible slashy slash where he seems like he's never had to defend himself against anything like even just stumbling (laughs) on the sidewalk he doesn't seem to know how to it's so stupid the way that he's like 
I don't want to hurt you. And she's like, ha ha. And then she lunges at him with a knife and he does not do anything to dodge or try and grab her arm. He just is surprised that a knife reacts. He reacts like he didn't know how a knife worked. Yeah, I agree. Like, oh, knives are sharp. He gets slashed and he's like, I'm bleeding from the stomach. But how? Like, she's like 110 pounds at most. Just shove her. Do something. Yeah, just grab the knife. Just, she's like, you're, he looks, he's got like some ripped dad bod going yeah. on. Just break her little arm. She's a very tiny woman. Just kick her shin, do something. Like he just um, like lets her slash him up. So there's no real stakes from like any, like you're never scared at any point. So it doesn't really earn its deadly part of the title at all. Like you're kind of yeah, like. Yeah, the death was like perfunctory. Yeah, it was like perfunctory friend murder. Cause that's what happens in these movies. But like. The, the sexual it, it it seems like it's gonna like the sexual component's gonna lead to some sort of murder and like that's never any of the reason why the murder occurs like i don't even know why elaine was murdered to be fair Me either like she wasn't the one doing the investigation she wasn't trying to like take grace out of the house so there's no reason she for was not a murdered. threat to grace at all well, I guess it would make more sense for Kristen Davis to have been the murderer there because they did just have a fight and she pissed her yeah. off. So, like, I guess maybe that's what they're... Tra- it was just stupid. So was, Yeah. yeah. They just needed a murder for this to have high stakes, for it not to just be, like, a porno with all the porn cut out. Well, and for it to be called Deadly Illusions. And, yeah. like, you would think that, like, it would either be, like, the husband and wife would start going after each other, or the nanny would start going after the husband and wife because she was jealous. Like, it's... She kind of goes after Dermot Mulroney at the end, but there's also not a clear reason why she does that either. No. Uh, that's what I was saying before. I, and we're tiptoeing around it, but I think a lot of this comes down to some of the stuff we'll talk about in our trivia. So I think okay. let's let's get into that. And I mean, I, mean, oh, I, I guess have... I have to give my favorite scene. Oh, I thought um, you did. Okay. I don't, you know, this was a hard one. I didn't find, I wanted to find the sex scene sexy. I love mm-hmm. to see like some, some lesbianism and stuff. I think this is the sexiest of the sex scenes would have been them making out at the picnic had she not said the narcissistic yeah that weird stuff but like that that felt more sensual than a lot of the other scenes like the bathtub scene it it seemed like there wasn't consent fully happening and like you know that kind of stuff too i guess like the scene with the husband where they're having sort of raunchy like the nanny and him are having sort of a raunchy moment that was sort of sexy yeah She's the- I was I was confused by Kristen Davis being so appalled by it because it's like, well, to you, you were just being eaten out by the nanny in the kitchen. You don't have really a leg to stand yeah. on if you're so mad that there's sex happening in the kitchen. Honestly, go join in. Like, why not? We're all we're all adults here. That's kind of how I felt. Like I would have thought in if I'm in that scenario, I'm maybe relieved. Like I'm like, oh, thank God we're both luck. fucking the nanny. Like we can fuck the nanny. Yeah. Um okay. I don't oh, damn it. One more thing that drove me nuts that I do have to mention. He mentions that the <laughs> when the police sort of suspect Kristen Davis of the crime, Dermot Mulroney, pull, Mulroney pulls her aside for a second and is like, the tires that were slashed on the bike, the blade matches uh, like one from the kitchen. Like, I'm sorry, are you doing forensics on the bike tire, Hoss? Like, what's going on here? Anyway. There were too many of those sort of trying to like scenes where they were trying to do something like that. It's like also like there's like Kristen Davis imagining her grace going to the nanny place and then like imagining her having a altercation with the woman being like you bitch you won't hire me and then or and then i'll imagine the scenario of her being nice and being like 
well, if you ever need anybody, I'm here. And it's like, I'm like what was that? Yeah. Which one? Ha why? You haven't done this before. So why are you showing us two different versions of the same story? And which one happened? Or did any of them happen? Like you were there, Kristen Davis. Like this whole movie is through your lens. So yeah. what are we seeing? This movie didn't give a fuck about perspective. She's also um, such a bad writer. Like she spends so long procrastinating that I'm like, girl, just try to do something. All right, let's get where this. Uh, we touch upon a lot of this in the trivia, so I'm going to just dive into it. First of all, here at Not Couple Goals, we do like to talk about uh, everyone's ages. So Dermot Mulroney is 59. Kristen Davis is 58. Greer Grammer, despite dodging the question several times in the movie, is 31. Okay, so not, I mean, definitely like- Definitely a, a huge difference. age gap. But, but it's supposed to have an age gap. Yeah. And like, I appreciate the husband-wife not having it. And I think they kind of tried to address that with she's she has a line of like i went through too much to try and have these twins and i felt like that's why they were twins too because a lot of the time if you do fertility treatments you'll have twins mm -hmm. so and i felt like that's why they were trying to explain them being like a little too old to have like six-year-old children yeah that makes sense uh let's see here the the film was released on march 18th 21 by netflix and it was the most watched film on the platform in its first weekend according to indiewire I was Which, part of that. Yeah, I get that. Um, we mentioned before it was shot in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't think that's where it took place, but it could have been. They don't tell us. I think it was California. Um, writer and director Anne Elizabeth James told E of this movie that it was, quote, more tantalizing than intriguing, more tantalizing and intriguing than actual pornography. No. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've seen as pornos for with better plots. <laughs> yeah, that actually, and, and better sex scenes. Yeah. Uh, the character's propensity to smoke cigars is pulled right from Anne Elizabeth James's life. Apparently, she likes to smoke cigars when she writes. But oh. here's her reason Quote, I smoke cigars sometimes when I write, and I find smoking cigars brings out the masculine side of me. She said that was an allusion to the plot where Dermot Mulrooney is apparently the breadwinner of the household which no and she says quote then things switch and now he's cooking dinner and she's the breadwinner and she's wearing the pants the cigar is a symbolism for that masculine energy but he's not the breadwinner the whole, this we're told this is the house that her book series built yeah and that he's just a guy like he's got a good job but that like she's the one who funded everything or at the very least on equal footing yeah so she i guess didn't read her own script <laughs> that's not obvious at all and i also just like i wrote at one point like why aren't you just smoking pot because the way that she would act when she like smoked the cigars was like as if it was like marijuana i was like it would make yeah. more sense for you to just be smoking marijuana the ending never changed the decision to basically end it in the mental institution and then have a woman who could be any of the three exit that Wait, was apparent three oh uh two the two yeah uh, uh, Kristen Davis or the two personalities within Greer Grammar as the three. Well, actually, I I wanted to ask you: Was that were we supposed to see? Because it when they're trying to do the murder thing, and uh, they're showing a woman walk out of the office that could be Kristen Davis, but it ha she has like the scarf on and like yeah. her coat, and then that's the same thing we see leave at the end. Are we supposed to believe? I thought that maybe that was telling us that Kristen Davis was the murderer all along. Quote uh, from, I think, Greer Grammar. Everyone wants us to explain it. Everyone wants an ending. And I'm like, that's not the point. 
The point is that you get to sit there and decide what you want it to be or what you think it is. No, that's stupid. No, that's yeah. Then, then why don't I write the fucking movie? Why don't I get the check? You yeah. know, um, you didn't make a movie that I want to sit and ponder after. Like, it's not yeah. like it's not Citizen Kane where it's like, oh, let me ponder about this for days. Like, it's annoying for me to have to have these questions. Uh, well, that's apparently by design. Another quote from the writer uh, in terms of this is what I was talking about before, about whether or not she was subverting expectations in on the joke, all that. You expect it to fall into tropes. People, when they put it on, they're expecting one type of movie and they're either completely into it and open to the ride that it takes when it doesn't go the way you think it's supposed to, or they get really upset. They're like, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. And it's like, but that's the fun. If you hate the film, she continues, if you hate the film equally as those who love it, that's okay too. Maybe you'll come back to it in five years and laugh your ass off. Like, then, then what are you trying to say? Are you trying to make a good movie, compelling movie? Or are you trying to make a movie that makes people laugh their ass off? Or angry because it doesn't go the way that they wanted. It doesn't deliver well, on what it's basically promising. She said in an interview that she, apparently her work prior to this was like family-friendly horse movies. <laughs> you know what? It, that's very apparent. <laughs> yeah. That's it very is. apparent. More white people shit? Get come now. Um and she said that she wanted to challenge herself and break from convention by creating a feeling as opposed to a plot. No, that's stupid. She also, said you, you can't break the rules unless you know the rules. Yeah. And honey, I don't think you know the rules. <laughs> like, um, also, also, she comes off as a horse girl. But also, <laughs> this movie has a 3.7 out of 10 rating on IMDb. Clearly, there is nobody loving this movie. Clearly, oh, but they love bunch- to hate it. Clearly, it's a bunch of people like me who put it on thinking, oh, man, it'll be real sexy to see Kristen Davis make out with this nanny and then get like sinister and maybe fatal attraction or something. And then to have that not pay off. Yeah, it was a big fucking disappointment. What I did get didn't make me horny. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like I hate the I hate the energy of like, oh, well, we're going to make something that people love to hate. And even if we get a reaction out of them, that still counts. And it's like, yeah, you and fucking Reddit commenters and Twitter like trolls all think the same way. Like way to make a movie. Well, it doesn't also it doesn't inoculate yourself from criticism to be like, oh, you know, we're we're going to people are going to love to hate this. Like, no, that doesn't mean you didn't make a bad movie. You can't say that and be like, oh, it's not bad. You just don't get it. Um. We talked so uh in addition to the smoking cigars being from the writer's life, writing with a pen and paper is also uh her thing as well. She thinks that opening a laptop sucks the creativity out of her. So she writes all of her things according to her five or ten times before she finally like transfers it over. That is stupid. No wonder no wonder you think like the writer's process is you have to like sequester yourself for months and become a different person. You're scrawling things on pen and paper surrounded by your own story in some locked room like a lunatic. Like, yeah, I bet you become a different person. I'll do a first draft in pen and paper, but then you do have to type it. Like to, to do five or six written drafts is ridiculous like that is a stupid thing to do that's hard that's that way you can do your second draft and be editing as you're typing everything from the original written draft i get that further drafts is that's bonkers that's that's a a stupid thing to do so here's something that might give us some pause uh kristen davis apparently tries to engage with the conversation surrounding this movie or at least she did around the time it came out she made headlines for responding to people who talked about this movie on Twitter. Uh, 
um nothing clapbacky nothing contentious she was actually very polite it was a lot of like thanks for watching yeah we were making a wild one like that kind of stuff um but yeah she was like getting in there with people who were like saying things like this movie fucking sucked but like kristen davis is funny i don't know well like whatever and she'd be like oh well thanks for watching (laughs) which is so maybe she's doing some googling and we'll find this podcast because i don't know if a lot of other people are talking about it uh however however much longer later she comes off as like a very sweet lady like you know i like i like her on sex and city she comes off very sweet in interviews Let's see. Uh, Grammar considers herself a Charlotte among her friend group. Uh, as we mentioned, her father is Kelsey Grammar. She said in an interview. He's not uh, with, a Charlotte. With, I believe, Mashable. No, he is not a Charlotte. He's a Mr. <laughs> Big. Um, here, no, he's a Chris Nall. Um, She said that her parents have not seen it. She reluctantly kind of gave them permission. She was like, you can watch it if you want to. Oh, but like, it's sexy. And she said that her dad was kind of like, I don't think I need to see that. But that he was really supportive of her, really proud of her for getting a starring role and a producing role and all of that. And was, you know, constantly like showering her with praise and all of that during the filming, which is, you know, nice to hear. Kelsey Grammer has some bad headlines about him, but it seems like he's a good, was a good dad in this regard. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Oh, uh, well. Um, and then finally, the thing that I have here is the director has said that not only is she trying to make a sequel happen, <laughs> But her idea is to write this movie as a book and then make a sequel where it seems like the book exists, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't quite make sense, but that's what she said in an interview that I watched her do. Yeah, she wants to write the movie as a book filled with, quote, Easter eggs and then do a follow up movie about where, like, the release of the book is a plot point. Meanwhile, Grammar said, quote, I do see a second movie coming and I have discussed it. We've talked about the possibility of a sequel. Originally, I didn't know how she, she being Anna, the director and writer, was feeling about it. But now I think we're both very much on board. We're kind of trying to start those conversations and take meetings and see who would want to help us do that. But we are definitely on board, I think, with a sequel. Which, again, this movie was not very good. I would watch just to see where they plan on taking us what what labyrinth of the insane they're trying to like put a button on with this movie i mean i willingly watched this movie twice so like clearly i would too but i will say the the 3.7 rating that i will not dispute out of 10 (laughs) it uh i don't think a lot of us are clamoring for a sequel that's not me trolling that's not me loving to hate it that's me watching this movie with an objective eye and saying 3.7 it is bad it is confusing which i think covers our next and last segment which is would you recommend it i guess it's like a tough if, one if someone was you know like i, I think i have recommended it to people because mm-hmm. of the fact that it's bonkers but i recommend it on on a bad movie level yes. i don't rec- i also like it because it was you know whether on purpose or not trying to subvert all of the like lifestyle sort of or like lifetime sort of tropes and like the tropes of these usual these movies usually hit you can't recommend it to people that love Lifetime movies on that same level of like, oh, if you love Lifetime movies, watch this one. You have to have that sort of caveat of like, this isn't going to provide you with the sexiness. It's But if you've ever wanted to see Kristen Davis have a weird lesbian tryst with her <laughs> nanny and like, you know, just how bonkers and stupid and off the rails and like how misguided that twist is at the end and how 
they think they're doing a mystery and and there's just not uh yeah i think like if you want to watch a bad movie you got two hours to kill don't sit down and really build it up to your friends and be like we're gonna watch like the best movie ever but yeah, yeah sit down watch a bad movie talk a little bit through it like eat some popcorn throw some popcorn at the screen have fun treat it like camp even though the movie didn't want to treat itself like camp yeah i agree i think we should almost we should almost change the segment because we run into this a lot instead of would you recommend it breaking down whether it is a good romantic thriller a good movie or a bad movie and i think this is a great example of a good romantic thriller uh it is fun to watch because it is so cuckoo bananas um it has these weirds it's very sexy when it wants to be but it's also like a blue bally in that regard as well um it it's it's neither here nor there but it's it's worth it to have like look at us we're almost over time on this podcast and it's just the two of us uh because there's and there's still so much i have so many notes of things we just didn't get to i could be here all night talking about this movie and i think that's the fun of this genre and uh, that's where this movie belongs. So I think regardless of what they set out to make, what they did make and what they're claiming they make are compatible with one another. So yeah, go ahead and watch it. If you like, if you like our podcast, if you like this genre, you'll like Deadly Illusions. I am insulted on behalf of romantic thrillers that you said this is a good romantic thriller, though. There are legitimately good romantic thrillers, and this is not one of them. This is right. a bad movie. <laughs> well, agreed. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe we need it. Maybe we need to tweak that title, but maybe we'll tweak the segment as well. Uh, uh, but that, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, Deadly Illusions. That is another episode of Not Couple Goals in the books. Uh, Allie, where can the people find you? You can find my writing on Parade.com. I cover entertainment news. And then you can find me, myself, on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, mainly on Instagram. I am more fun there. At uh, Anal Retentive, A-N-E-L-R-E-T-E-N-T-I-V-E. I am also now on TikTok. I post fun videos. Please follow me. I need more followers. I want money. <laughs> uh, and that is at like Willie Nelson. It's spelled exactly like that. Like Willie Nelson. That's how my name is spelled. A lot like Willie Nelson's name. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Tyler McCarthy. Pretty basic there, where I just post a few musings as well as some articles I write and mostly episodes of this podcast and other podcasts we've guessed it on. Uh, most recently, you can hear us on the second installment of the Socially Distanced uh, podcast, Indiana Jones uh, episodes, where we talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the far superior Last Crusade. Uh, and if you are interested in my writing, you can A, find it on Twitter, B, just go check out uh, the NBC Universal editorial pages. That's NBC Insider, USA Insider, Sci-Fi, a little bit of Bravo, like all kinds of stuff. Uh, anything under the NBC Universal banner, I'm writing about uh, Hot Wheels on NBC and Peacock. Uh, we're not in season yet, but I did a lot of great stuff with Chucky this season for season two. Uh, season three is coming and I'll be working a lot on that too. Uh, so really just check it all out there. If you're not reading something with my byline, you're reading something with a really cool, talented person's byline. Uh, and that's it for us. That's right. Special thanks to Mallory Johns for our intro and outro music. And Alex Marcus, our producer.